Turn with me, please, in the scriptures to a couple of openings. Let's look at Philippians, the third chapter. And then I think we'll be going to Hebrews, the twelfth chapter. First of all, Philippians 3. I'm going to begin reading in the twelfth verse. I'm going to read from the uh, Good News translation. He said, I do not claim that I have already succeeded or have already become perfect. I keep striving to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has already won me to himself. Of course, my friends, I I really do not think that I have already won it. The one thing I do, however, is to forget what is behind me and do my best to reach what is ahead. So I run straight toward the goal in order to win the prize, which is God's call through Christ Jesus to the life above. All of us who are spiritually mature should have this same attitude. But if some of you have a different attitude, God will make this clear to you. Let me read the New Living Translation. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Now, uh, The Spirit of God through Paul is enabling Paul to describe his reaching for a goal. And he calls it perfection. And he calls it the mark, the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Perfection. And he says, I don't count myself to have reached it, but I'm not done. (laughs) I'm reaching on. I'm pressing on toward that mark of perfection. Now, when we hear the word perfection in modern vernacular, most people, you just lose them immediately because a common belief is no one's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And the implication is nobody could be. Period. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe so that you ignore all kind of scriptures in the New Testament and you don't even make an effort. Because if you can't reach it, why try? (laughs) Hear how quiet it is in the church. (laughs) Nobody's perfect. Man, you know, I can hear people holding themselves back from going, amen. (laughs) Caught you. Am I right? Am I right? Nobody's perfect. Everybody wants to go, amen. And yet, we've already gone over this, so if this is the first time you've been with us, you're, uh, you need to catch up. Go online, download the previous messages, go back, get hard copies, get caught up with us. It, it'll be worth your time. The Lord said, be ye perfect. Even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What are we going to do with that verse? 
Just ignore it. Just tell the Lord, well, Lord, you know. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. So why in the world did you say that? Jesus said, you're not going to be above your master, talking about himself, but everyone that is perfect will be as the master. And so what we need to do is get renewed in our thinking about what the Bible is talking about when it says perfect. It is true. None of us are perfect physically or mentally or emotionally or performance-wise. And we're not going to be in this life. We're not going to be perfect physically. We're not going to be perfect in knowledge And we won't be perfect in performance. But the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth. You know what he's looking for? Those whose heart is perfect towards him. And other translations bring out those who are wholehearted towards him. Perfection means complete, completely developed or holy. Completely given. And though we're not perfect in knowledge. We have certainly hadn't been perfect in performance. Yet you can be perfect in heart. Every day of your life. In fact there's no excuse. There's no excuse for being half hearted. There's forgiveness. Thank the Lord. But there's no excuse. For being half committed. Half-hearted. What is perfection? We're talking about perfection of heart. Jesus is perfection. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. Hallelujah. Do you believe Jesus was ever half-hearted in his love and service before the Father any day of his life? Any hour of his life? Well, that's perfection. That's why the Father spoke audibly and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that's what Paul is talking about. That's what the Spirit of God through Paul is talking about. He's saying, I don't count myself to have arrived at perfection like the Master. But I'm not stopping. I'm not throwing up my hands saying nobody's perfect. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm pressing. I'm reaching toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? It's being just like the master. Being just like the master. Do you believe it, saints? We mentioned... uh, couple of messages ago, a quote from our beloved brother, Billy Graham, who's for sure an elder, right, in the body. He, he made this statement. He said, being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. Thank you, Lord. There's a lot of emphasis on 
grace. In that we're saved by grace and everything is done by grace and we are accepted as righteous by grace. It's been given and done. And that our our righteousness is perfect. And it is. But our faith is not yet. Our righteousness does not need to be perfected. For it is Christ's own righteousness. Our faith, however, needs a lot of work. Are you with me, saints? Like Brother Hague used to say, you can say amen or oh me. (laughs) Either one that you like to say. But uh, the purpose of the giving of the ministry gifts in Ephesians 4 says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yes, when we're born again, our sins are forgiven. Our righteousness is perfect because it's his righteousness. We are completely accepted in the beloved, but we're born babies, spiritual babies, infants who need to grow up. Go with me to Hebrews, please, the 12th chapter. Hebrews chapter 12. The implication that some leave is that everything's already been done. Everything has already been done. And that really we can do nothing. Nothing for us to do. Just set believe it. Our salvation, our redemption is done. Our righteousness is perfect. But the Lord does not do our developing in faith and our growing up for us. He helps us, but it's not already done, and it's not automatic. You can be born again 75 years and still be an infant spiritually, no development. It's the Scripture. Didn't the Bible say in Peter, desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may what? Well, apparently you need to grow. What's Paul talking about when he says, I don't count myself to have arrived? What does he mean? Doesn't he know it's already all done? What's he reaching for? What's he stretching for? What's he after? Does Paul need to develop? He said he did. Does he need to be perfected? Not his righteousness. His faith. Now you'll see this in Hebrews 12. Does anybody remember Hebrews 12 comes right after Hebrews 11? You remember that? (laughs) What's Hebrews 11? The great hall of fame of faith. What faith is, how it works, who had faith, what they did in faith. I mean, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Gideon. I mean, on and on and on. And this wasn't written in chapter and verse. Chapter 12 is a continuation of these thoughts. And chapter 12 verse 1. Says wherefore. Seeing we also are compassed about. With so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside. Every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us. 
Who's going to do that? Who should do that? We need to lay aside, set aside, get free from weights and sins. Some things are not sin, but they're a weight. Other things are actually sin. You're violating light. You know better. The sin which does so easily beset us. And let us do what? Run with patience the race that is set before us. Now this is the same thought we read in Philippians. Running a race. What kind of race is he talking about running? But what's been the subject for the last, the whole 11th chapter? It's a faith race. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. Actually the word our is in italics or bracketed. It just is the author and finisher of faith. Some say, well, I don't know if I like that as good. Well, that's how it is, whether you like it or not. But, <laughs> but, uh, but you will like it when you learn why I'm saying this. Another says he is the author. Uh, many translations say perfecter. He is the author and the perfecter of faith. We got into some detail last time about this. What does that mean? Jesus said the disciple, the learner, is not above his master. But everyone that is perfected will be like the master. We understand this concept perfectly. I mean, I quoted from uh, some Kung Fu shows (laughs) last week. Remarks about grasshopper. I know a lot of young people looked at me with a blank stare like, huh? Well, long, long ago, there was a show called Kung Fu. And the Kung Fu man had uh, flashbacks to when he was a a boy learning from the master. And he would uh, have to learn speed and learn agility and and how to, what was it, uh, get to pebble? Out of the master's hand. Was that one of them? Well anyway. This is the concept he's talking about. And that's what brother Graham was talking about. We're not supposed to be believers only. We are to be disciples. Apprentices. To the master. And Jesus is the author. And the perfecter of faith. He is beyond black belt in faith. He is the faith master. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he, he developed faith as a man in the earth, down here in the midst of the curse, with demons and disease and unbelieving people. And he walked it out perfectly. And now he is to be. See, can you see the flow of it? He's talking about faith and what faith did and how faith honored God and, and through the whole 11th chapter. Now he zeroes in on me and you and goes, all right, you're the one who's alive now. You're the one who's operating in faith now. And don't despair because you have the master Amen. of faith who is with you. Hallelujah. And you need to learn faith from the master. Anybody excited about this besides me? I guess I had some experience in some of these things as a boy. My dad put me in a school of martial arts when I was 10. 
and I didn't know why, but you're looking back, all of us, different portions of our life, except for the ones where we just rebelled and missed God, are ordered of him. Every part of it is supposed to give you something to help orient you towards your call and your way. And for decades in my personal life, I refer to the Lord as master. That's just a frequent reference of me to him, master. And I have that idea that I'm his disciple. I'm a learner to him and he is my master. I don't call any other man master. About anything. It's a word I have reserved just for him. Is he your master? It's different from being your savior. He is my savior. But we're talking about something else here aren't we? Have you arrived? Or do you need to be his disciple? Selah. Let it sink in just a little bit. Keep reading. Keep reading. He's the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now say this phrase out loud, despising the shame. shame. What did he despise? The shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did he do it right? He did it perfectly. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint In your minds, what is the danger? What is the temptation? To get weary, to get tired, and to faint or quit. He's talking about running a race. What if you get tired and faint while you're running? Well, then you're no longer running. You have stopped running the race. You've not yet resisted unto blood. Striving against sin, Jesus resisted temptation to not go through with the Father's perfect will to the point of blood coming out of his pores. But he submitted, not my will, but your will be done. And the biggest factor of that is faith. You know why a lot of people are not submissive? Lack of faith. Why can't you submit to them? If the Lord told you to submit to them, not submitting to them is not based on them. It's based on you not trusting God enough to do what he told you to do. Well, they're not this or they're not that. Well, didn't he know that when he told you to submit to them? If they miss it, they'll be held accountable. But if you refuse to submit to them... Because you're afraid you're going to get hurt or you're going to be mistreated or you're not going to get what you want. It's got nothing to do with them. You don't trust him enough to do what he told you to do. You trust him even if they're not acting right. You believe God's going to take care of you because I'm doing what he told me to do. And I trust him. How could Jesus submit to the scourging? How could he submit to the crucifixion? How could he submit to sin being laid on him? We have no idea the experience of that. He did it by faith. He is the faith master. Hallelujah. Somebody say faith master. He is the master of faith. 
which equals the master of pleasing God. Because without faith you can't please him. Jesus perfectly pleased the Father every day of his life, including the cross. And he did it. He yielded. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. How can you do that? When you've been made sin, you feel yourself being separated from the Father. You're going to the heart of the earth. How can you do that? How can you submit to that? Remember he said, don't you know I could call on the Father and legions of angels would come? How can you not deliver yourself? He did it by faith. He disciplined his flesh. He submitted his own will. Somebody say, master, master, master. And he executed the perfect faith blow to the adversary. It was a secret technique. Nobody knew about it. (laughs) Am I exaggerating or not? Didn't the Bible say the devil did not know when he received him that after three days and nights, God dealt to the enemy the secret exploding kick. (laughs) And he's never recovered. (laughs) <laughs> and he never will. <laughs> and all of us should go, Master, 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 Jesus is the Master. But you know what's wonderful? I'm his disciple. You have to watch about messing with me too, because I'm, I'm with him. I hadn't arrived. I'm not Jesus' black belt faith. I'm not claiming to be. Paul said, I'm, I, I'm not there yet. But I'm green belt with a stripe. I'm getting there. Right? I'm not just playing and exaggerating. This is reality. Every day of our life, we're supposed to be aware, I'm, I'm with the master. He's teaching me. He's training me. He's helping me. Does he want my faith perfected? He's the master, author, and perfecter of faith. Keep reading. How does he do it? Verse 5. How does he do it? Here's how he does it. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. Will the Lord chasten you? Will he rebuke you? Yes. Yes. Yes, no. Yes. 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 Keep going. Six. For whom the Lord, what? Loves. He chastens. He corrects and scourges or disciplines every son whom he receives. And this message is wildly unpopular. But what did the Lord, what does the passage caution you about? Don't despise the correction. Why would he say that? Because millions do. Phyllis and I, in our our small experience in ministry, that's one of the biggest things. You want to help people get from where they are to where they need to be. And that's going to require some correction. And if you don't receive it well, it'll require some stronger correction. 
And many, many people, bless their hearts, they weren't trained right. They didn't understand it as a child. They don't understand it now as an adult. They think it's a personal put down. They take it as a personal insult when they're correcting me. Well, you think you don't need any? You think you have already arrived at Christ-like perfection? Help your neighbor out. Help him out. Look over and say, you need correction. You need, you need some correction. You need some correction. <laughs> well, do you or don't you? Do you or don't you? So the question is, does the Lord love you enough to correct you? Well, the next big question is, do you have enough sense to receive it? Are you aware enough of what's going on that this is not personal rejection? This is not people just insulting you or putting you down. But that they're doing it when it's God's correction. They're doing it because they love you. Because they love you. <laughs> Keep reading. Whom the Lord loves, what does he do? There's a lot of talk about how much God loves us. Does he love you a lot? What does that mean? It means he's going to correct you a lot. Am I exaggerating? Am I, am I? Who the Lord loves, he chastens. He corrects. Now that doesn't mean he puts a disease on you and sends a tornado to your house. People have, you know, messed up the scriptures trying to do that. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Amen. You've been redeemed from that. But that doesn't mean you, don't, you never need to be corrected. You need to be corrected. Why? Because we only know in part. And it's the parts we don't know. That we can jump to wrong conclusions. And, and we need to be adjusted. We need to be corrected. Instructed. Corrected. And if you don't receive correction, you need to be rebuked. Never fun. But you need it. Why? Because you're about to go off the deep end. You're about to go off the cliff. You're about to go in the ditch. You're about to have a problem. Major problem. And love will help you out if you listen. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? What child is there that doesn't need any correction? I've heard people say, you know, my little so-and-so, the, the girl or their son, they're, you know, they're just a wonderful child. I've never had to correct them. Well, I know right away they're a terror. I don't even have to meet them. There's no such thing as a child or an adult who never needs any correction. That's implying you have already arrived at Christ-like perfection. In your faith and in pleasing God. That's just not true. Do you see what I was talking about earlier? How excited everybody was about this. I mean, can you feel? You can feel the excitement. In the room. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Keep reading. If you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're, most translations say, illegitimate, trying to be kinder, and not sons. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? 
Keep going. They've chastened us verily a few days after their own pleasure. Or you could say as they thought best. But he for our profit. Love doesn't correct you for any other reason except what's best for you. Has your best interest in heart and mind. Why? That we might be partakers of his holiness. Now this is a reference again to his perfection. What's this about? It's about the disciple becoming like the master. Can you see this? And how do we get there? How's the Lord going to get us from where we are right now to there? He's going to correct us because he loves us. Said out loud, correction, Correction. perfection. Perfection. You willing to receive some? (laughs) That's not everybody, is it? (laughs) Well, you're you're thinking about it, okay? All right. Turn with me to John, the third chapter. Well, actually, yeah, you go to John three, and please put up on the screen for us First Corinthians eleven thirty one. But you're going to John 3. You're going to John 3.16. But before you read that, we're going to read this. 1 Corinthians 11.31. If we would what? Judge Judge ourselves. We should not be judged. Now read the very next phrase. But when we are judged, we're what? Chastened of the Lord. Why? Why? That we should not be condemned with the world. Now here's something very important to make note of. Love's correction has nothing to do with condemnation. Love's correction is not condemnation. Let me say it again slower. When we're talking about God's correction, love's correction, what is it not? It is not condemnation. God is not the condemner. The Holy Spirit is not the condemner. We need mind renewal in this area. You ever hear people say, boy, that was a strong message in there today. Uh, God really condemned me about some things. That is an untrue statement. Now something was going on with you, but it was not God condemning you. You're saying it wrong, and you're attributing the wrong thing to God. He is not the condemner. God so loved the world. Are you there in John 3.16? What does it say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but... Have everlasting life. Next verse. Next verse. For God what? Sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. If God had wanted us condemned. All he'd had to do is nothing. Just leave us alone. We would have been. Condemned means to find guilty. And pass sentence against. To judge. Condemnation and judging. Go hand in hand. So love's correction. Is not about condemning. 
Said out loud again. Correction, Correction is, not is not condemnation. condemnation. They're not the same thing. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Well, what's going on? Well, um, go with me to the 8th chapter of John. You're there close by. John 8 and 9. Well, let's see. John 8 and 8. Jesus stooped down and, and wrote on the ground. He had said, he that's without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. This woman that had been, they said, caught in the act of adultery, they drug her in front of Jesus and said, Moses in the law said she should be stoned. Right now, right here. But what do you say? They're trying. They don't care about her. They're just trying to get him in trouble. And you know, you can't commit adultery by yourself. Where's the guy at? Probably one of their buddies. This, this whole thing's a mess. But when he said, he that's without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. What happened next? And they which heard it being what? Convicted. Not the same as condemned. Convicted by their own conscience. Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Notice what Jesus asked her. Next verse. When Jesus lifted up himself and he saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither to her, neither do I, what? Condemn you. And yet, what happens next? Go and sin no more. Is that correction? It's correction, but it's not condemnation. I said it's correction, but it's not condemnation. Love's correction is for your good. It's not about who's right. It's about what's right. It's not about who wins. It's not about fixing the blame. It's about fixing the problem. I said it's not about fixing the blame. Well, it's, it's your fault. You messed up and trying to act, you know, I'm superior, I'm smart, you're dumb, I win, you lose. That's not love's correction. That's condemnation. That's not love's correction. Now, not to say that love can't be strong with you. But it's not about being superior or lording it over you. It's about helping you. And on the same, by the same token, you'll hear people say, well, I, I just, I love them too much to correct them. I just, I can't take it. Well, well no, you love you. It's got nothing to do with loving them. You can't stand for them not to like you. You are not willing to endure the discomfort. You care more about you not having to be inconvenienced than you do how they wind up. If you love them, you'll correct them even if they don't like you for three weeks. 
Why? Because you care enough about them, you want them to come out right. And so you will endure it. You'll put up with it. You'll deal with it. But this is no excuse for you to get in the flesh and rail on somebody and put them down and call them names and try to just demonstrate I'm smarter than you. I'm, I'm in charge. I'm over you. When you begin to get into condemnation, judging somebody and, and trying to accuse them and place guilt, you left godly correction and now you're into something that the Lord has nothing to do with. You're into something you're yielding now to the enemy because he is the accuser of the brethren. Can you see this, friends? What will love do? Love will correct you, but what? It's not condemning you. It'll correct you no matter how you dislike it and how much you don't want it. But no matter how badly you've blown it, Love will still believe in you. You see that? And forgive you. And ready to help you get past it. And go on. But love's not going to tell you you're okay when you're not okay. Love's not going to tell you what you're doing's right when it's wrong. Love's not going to tell you anything you do is alright. Everything's okay. Because it's not. We talked about this earlier. People say, well, God loves you. Just the way you are. Not true. Absolutely not true. He loves you right now. No matter what you're in or where you are. That does not mean he loves all your ungodly ways. And you shouldn't either. People say well you're perfect. Just like you are. Who believes that? Paul said he hadn't arrived. You see there's a lot of junk. That people have tried to mix together and they call it love. But what will love do? What will love? Will love tell you you're okay. You're perfect just like you are. Don't need a thing. You're there. Everything you think's perfect. Everything you say is perfect. Everything you've done is perfect. Bless your heart. You're there. No way. <laughs> somebody's lying to you. <laughs> I said somebody's lying to you. No, he does love you no matter where you are, but he doesn't love all your ungodly ways, and you shouldn't either. Yes, come to Jesus just as you are, but don't stay just as you are. Grow up, develop, be a partaker of his holiness. Don't be conformed to this ungodly world, but every day show up. Hallelujah. Put your uniform on. Is that right? And Jesus is going to show you another faith move. He's going to show you how to submit to God and how to please God. Is he going to correct you? Yeah, he's going to correct you. If you don't pay attention, will he rebuke you? Yeah, he'll rebuke you. But what should you say? Thank you, sir. I'm going to get it. I'm getting it right now. (laughs) Said out loud, I am a disciple. Of the master of faith. faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am a disciple. disciple Of Jesus. Jesus. Glory to God. Stand on your feet everybody. Praise be to God. Glory be to God.
I want us to pray a prayer. I want us to uh, do it from our heart, if you mean it. Close your eyes. Say it out loud, Father God. I acknowledge you are love and love corrects, rebukes, disciplines, but you do not condemn. Thank you, Father. And uh, I ask you to help me to identify, be aware of times I have judged. And have condemned. I I repent of it. I I judge it. I say. That's not right. Help me to see. What love's correction is. And what is evil condemnation. Hallelujah. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just keep your eyes closed for just a minute. Now, now one thing we should touch on, you might say, well, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I don't, I'm not going to see that they were condemning me. They don't have to be condemning you for you to take it that way. Somebody could be correcting you in love, and yet because you received condemnation from the enemy, you take it as condemnation. That does not necessarily mean they were condemning you. That can just be something you did. Let the enemy in. So judge righteous judgment. Not according to appearances. But willing to receive that you might be made more like the master. Hallelujah. His, how holy he is. How perfectly he pleases the father. Forgetting everything that's behind. Say I'm forgetting everything that's behind. I'm reaching. I'm pressing, I'm developing, I'm coming up into the full measure of the full stature of the Christ, master of faith. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. God. Are you happy about it, saints? Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. Phyllis, would you please come and uh, dismiss us? Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You know, one thing that will help you not get into condemnation is I was sitting there, I was thinking about this. I myself have done it, and probably every person in here has done it. When you get corrected... Change it. Because what happens is, if we get corrected in love, and we don't change it, whether it be by God, or by our parents, or by our spiritual parents, or by the people over us, and we don't change it, just like a little child, as we grow, we should be at a certain place. But if we don't change those things, Then they begin to pile up and they begin to pile up and they begin to pile up. And just by reason of time, you should be at a certain place. But you haven't changed the things that you should have changed when you were little. And they just keep piling up. 
So then when they have to keep correcting you about things that you should have changed years past, you keep getting corrected about things that you should have changed years ago. So there's more correction than there actually should be. Do you understand that? I know I myself have been that way. I, I, you know, I tell you about me all the time. A little slow. You remember I told you when we first got married, you know, a little rebellious. Because I wanted to do it my way. So for years, then I felt condemned because I felt like I never could do anything right. Well, it wasn't that I couldn't do anything right. It was that I didn't change the things as they came along. So they all just kept piling up and piling up and piling up. And the pile kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger because I refused to change the little things each time they came along. So it was like I had to change them all at one time. Does that make sense to you? It's like you get a child that's adopted or something and they never were disciplined. And you bring them in and you try to change everything about them at one time. Is that difficult? Oh yeah, it would be difficult. Well, that's where you are. You're trying to change everything at one time. Well, you can't do that. You got to start knocking those things off left and right and left and right. Well, sometimes you just got to get down on the floor and say, Lord, I should have changed that 10 years ago. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Because I should have done that a long time ago. Then I wouldn't be dealing with that and that and that and that and that and that. And I could have matured to where I'm supposed to be now to where all I'm dealing with today is the correction of today. Not yesterday's and the day before and the day before. Does that make sense? And that's where so many of us had gotten to. So let's correct the past so that we don't feel condemned. Because that's what the devil wants us to do is be condemned. But we we won't be condemned if we just deal with today. Make sense? Glory to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.